0: All over Christendom this week, uh, the sufferings of Christ are being highlighted. Uh, Usually for Christians, this time of the year is a time of contemplation about Jesus and the sufferings of Christ. But you know, I wonder if we really understand really what these sufferings are, uh, because we tend to be superficial. We see a man physically suffering, but it goes far beyond physical suffering. Uh, and of course, I'll, get, I'll talk about that a little bit, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 here in verse 26, uh, Paul tells us that we, when we become partakers here in communion, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So his sufferings are well beyond the physical. They extend into the spirit realm, and we proclaim that for us. That his uh, victory has become our victory. His uh, giving us the ability that we could be in covenant with the Father means everything. Because now we're no longer mere mortals and just citizens of this world. The word of God tells us our true citizenship is in heaven. But as long as we're here, we want to live a life that honors him. So tonight we're going to proclaim his death as we receive communion. His death on the cross which accomplished his Everything for us. His accomplishments on the cross. The final sacrifice for all eternity. Uh, So at the cross here, uh, we see uh, that these are Jesus' words that we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to be looking at uh, what he said before he left this world while on the cross. And those last comments he made, uh, they weren't just casual utterances. They were very significant. He chose his words Carefully. Could you ever imagine Jesus ministering and just, oops, I didn't really mean that? He chose his words extremely carefully. He intentionally fulfilled scripture. He intentionally uh, was the final sacrifice and he wanted you to know it and those that have faith can see it. And he was very intentional, the words he spoke. And so we want to look at tonight what's commonly called the last words of Jesus on the cross. So let's pray. Father God, we just look to Holy Spirit tonight to make the connection for us, Lord God, that this would be a very meaningful experience tonight, Father, that we would leave here, Lord, with a deeper appreciation of what our Savior accomplished, that, Father God, how it affects us. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Could somebody do me, Donna, could you do me a favor? I forgot my handouts. On my my handouts, my car is parked right over here. On the front... Seat is a manila envelope. Would you bring that in there? You'll see handouts inside of it. I said my wallet's in there. I locked the car. <laughs> okay, praise God. Um, Alright, so when we look at the uh, last hours of Jesus on the cross, we have to draw our information from all four Gospels. So um, when we look at them together... In chronological order, as they happen, we get a much bigger picture here. Now, I I don't want to put four Bibles in front of me here. So they do have a very specialized Bible. It's called a Gospel Harmony. Good thing to have in your library. Uh, This is in uh, New American Standard. Those who read New American Standard are saved. I'm kidding. Uh, But really, I, I like the translation very much. The scholars here who did this one are Thomas and Gundry. They're very good scholars. And so anyway, you can buy one of these. They have them in different translations. Uh, they've been around for a long time. But it's basically all four Gospels in chronological order. So if you're studying the, uh, the birth of Christ, the death and resurrection, it's nice to look at it, all four laid out in a row, as you're reading in the chronological order as it happened. So it's a real nice tool to have. Highly recommend one if you don't own one. So first let's look at the setting here a little bit before we get to the actual Gospels here. Uh, the time of Jesus on the cross uh, is divided into two Three-hour segments. Uh, The first was from 9 to 12, and then the second from 12 to 3. Wow, that's six hours. Six hours on the cross. And um, six is an important number. Uh, It shows uh, the imperfection of man needing a Savior, falling short of the perfection of God. These are very intentional numbers here. And um, we have uh, two distinct time periods and two distinct themes. How about that? Uh, first of all, we have Jesus, who is all man, all God. And the first period, from 9 to 12, is focusing on Jesus, all man. Hey, you got it. The second time period here is focusing on Jesus, all God, becoming the final sacrifice. Christ, which is a Greek word, Christos, the anointed one. I take my car home, gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Don't let me forget those. Okay, praise God. All right, so we have Christ here, the anointed one here, the final sacrifice. So there are seven utterances Jesus has on the cross. Uh, there are three in the first time period and four in the second time period. That's significant. Three is a number of Trinity, four is a number of man. So if we were talking about theomatics, which is called the mathematics of God, which we're not going to go into, a very complicated topic, we see here three a four follows three. That is God reaching down to man. That's the picture we have on the cross. God reaching down towards man in desperate need of a Savior. So let's look at the first time period. We have 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, he has three utterances here, and they're all on behalf of others. That's an amazing thing that we're seeing Uh, because it's written in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So here on the cross, of course, we have love motivating his words regarding others. The cross here is the climax of love manifested. And biblical love demands action. So compassion demands action. So there is no love without action. So here we have love displayed on the cross. The selflessness of Jesus shines now. Now, I've got to remember these are all in chronological order. All right, Let's look at the first saying of Jesus uh, towards man on the cross, Jesus the man. His first saying is in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And uh, talks about the crucifixion here. And in verse 34, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. So here we have his first words, are words of forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? The cross is all about forgiveness, isn't it? The cross theme starts here. It's all about forgiveness first. So when we come to the communion table tonight, we ought to come forgiving, right? Coming forgiving others, accepting God's forgiveness for ourselves. So many people in life that are believers don't forgive themselves. They can't accept Christ's forgiveness because they see what they've done as so big. And yet, you're saying the Lord can't forgive you? You're saying the blood of Jesus isn't good enough? If he says it's good enough, then it's good enough. We accept his forgiveness once and for all. But here we see here also, how can we in good conscience partake when in unforgiveness, right? We are proclaiming his death, therefore we're proclaiming his forgiveness. So, uh, Lord, you have forgiven me, but I'm not going to forgive others in return. This cannot be. So the cross of Christ, right off the bat, calls us to forgiveness. If my Lord has forgiven me, I must let go of everyone's sin against me. Amen. So now we go to his second saying here in uh, Luke chapter 23, and that's in verse 43. In fact, I'll go from 39 to 43. And then one of the criminals who were hung, hanging there uh, was, all, was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? save yourself and us but not but the other answered rebuking him saying do you not even fear god when you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong and as he was saying he said jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here we have Jesus' second saying. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And of course, when words like truly are spoken, it means you won't believe what I'm about to say. So I have to tell you up front, I'm telling you the truth. Truly, you will be, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So here we have, now forgiveness continues, right? He's extending forgiveness of sins to the repentant criminal. Love continues to forgive the unforgivable in the eyes of men. Yet, here not just forgiveness, the granting of a reward of eternity in his presence. Because the criminal reached down in faith to what he said. And you know, a side comment here. You know, when we read the word of God... The Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, ah, but not the punctuation, not the chapter divisions, not the verses. Very nice men put that there to help us read in the Middle Ages. In the original Greek, there is no punctuation when you read this. So, some of these people who were very nice Bible translators, some of them didn't know Christ as their Savior. They were just intellects. And you could make a mistake, perhaps, by putting a comma in the wrong place. Because after Jesus leaves the cross, he goes into Hades and defeats the evil one. Amen. Amen. That's not paradise yet. So when you read this, it appears that very day the criminal is with him in paradise. I tell, you, I, tell you to, I tell you, today you shall be with me in paradise. What if you put the comma after today? I tell you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It gives a very different meaning. More than likely, the comma goes after today. I tell you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. It fits. It fits what happened from the cross to the grave. So, have you reached out in faith yet to surrender to him? Or is he just a historical Jesus to you? It's good to know we can reach out to him in faith and believe. All he ever asks us is that we believe him and confess him before men. All right, we go to the third saying of of Jesus on the cross, and that's in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which we know to be John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, that's a title of respect in the first century. He's not being sarcastic. Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Wow. Here we have love in action again, making a provision for his mother. Her future, her welfare on the cross is still a priority to him. This strongly implies, of course, Joseph is gone. He's passed away. He is now the firstborn, and it's his duty to her to care for his mom. Notice he doesn't commend her to his natural siblings, his brothers, who were also Mary's children, but had not yet probably come to faith in him. But here, to the youngest disciple, whom he can trust to love. He is faithful at the cross, not even concerned for his own life when he comes to the cross. And here Jesus speaks to him. This is love in action. Love in action on the cross, speaking to John, and John is known as the apostle of love. How about that? Love is in action here. All right, now we're going to come to the second time period here, from uh, 12 noon to 3 p.m. And here in Matthew chapter 27, uh, in verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour, this is Jewish time, which is noon, from the sixth hour darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour, which is 3 o'clock p.m. So here we have time here is denoted. And it's denoted as Jewish time. There's a marked difference now that's going to take place both in the natural and in the spirit realm. Here Jesus is acting now in the love of God during these first three hours. And now he becomes God's love acted upon mankind as the final sacrifice. And we see a darkness starts to come over the area. The spiritual climate is changing. Something's happening in the spirit realm. Now, these first three sayings of Jesus that we just read, again, are spoken regarding people. But these last four are going to be cries and declarations of the Messiah fulfilling Scripture into eternity. And here, notice, in this last section, he speaks in Psalms. How about that? He's not speaking just words of his own. He's quoting the Psalms as he speaks. Wow. So that means those Pharisees that were at the foot of the cross or in that area there to witness these words from the Psalms, they knew exactly who he was. They weren't stupid. As you utter those first few words of a Psalm, their lips are moving, finishing the sentence. They had these things memorized. They studied this their entire lives. They knew exactly who would talk like this on a cross, being crucified and suffering. Who would speak like that? Why would you choose these words? This was the Messiah talking, becoming the final sacrifice for all mankind. You've got to remember, they never saw the uh, the Lamb of God. They were looking for the Lion of Judah to overthrow the Roman Empire. He wasn't what they expected. Next time he comes, he's not the Lamb of God coming. He's the Lion of Judah. With, With the power they expected to see him come in the first coming. But here, he's the final sacrifice, which is the most important. So here we have his fourth saying here. Um, and um, we're going to read it from two different scriptures. Uh, from Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. And from Mark chapter 15, verse 34. First from Matthew. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Lama, lama Sabakhtani. That is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And from uh, Mark... It says, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama, samachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, Mark is a, Jew, is a Roman gospel. That's why it says it's translated, whereas they don't do that in Matthew because Matthew is a Jewish gospel written for the Jew to read. And the wording's a little different, but it's the same thing, Eli, Elami, because of the different languages for the Romans. So here we have; he's actually quoting Psalm 22, verse one. Psalm 22 is the psalm of the suffering Messiah, and here it's the cry of separation from the Father. Now, I mentioned earlier about do they really understand this week? Those who are into Passion Week, the sufferings of Jesus. You know, the, the agony in the garden he had is now being realized. The real suffering is being separate from the Father. That's the real suffering here that's taking place. Yeah, you should have to ask the question, my gosh, crucifixion. Was Jesus the only one ever to be crucified? No. Could there have been people crucified with a greater horror? Yes. Could there have been people that experienced a greater intensity of pain? Yes. Why was his pain so different? It was a spiritual pain. It was a spiritual pain of being separate from the Father, and no one in human history could experience that. Where Jehovah God is being, exper- is being separated from Father God, Elohim. Wow. Amazing. How does that song go? I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know this side of heaven, what that possibly means, to be separate from the Father. This is where the precious blood of Jesus, blood without sin, has meaning. This is the cost of being torn from the Father. Only Jesus could have understood this. Only Jesus could have felt the pain of this. If we could only get a glimpse into how serious sin really is. For us, it breaks fellowship with the Father, but not relationship. For Jesus, it was separation, which is far greater. And here we have the penalty of human sin being paid for. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. He becomes me, he becomes you. He becomes my sin, he becomes your sin. Because of me, because of you, he endures a moment of separation. The separation of death. Not just of the physical man Jesus, but separate from the Father. And Why does he cry out forsaken? Because the Father cannot look upon sin. He's becoming literally the sin of humanity on the cross. And the Father cannot look at sin. Why is there darkness now all around? Because all that's left in separation is darkness. The light of his presence is gone. You know, the real horror of hell over eternity is forever being separate from Father God. Something human beings cannot this side of heaven understand. It's an eternal prison for eternal criminals. The criminal being rejecting the Messiah. Hell is an eternal prison for eternal criminals suffering an eternal separation that our minds this side of heaven cannot understand. So here we have Jesus becoming sin on the cross. You know, an interesting scripture here in Numbers, chapter 21, in verses 8 and 9, the people had sinned, and the, the Lord, when you're reading it, appears to do something odd, what he says to Moses. He says, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be by everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the serpent, he lived. And what does John tell us in chapter 3, verse 14? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even must the Son of Man be lifted up. The serpent, of course, is the nature of sin, the nature of Satan judged on the cross. Bronze is always a picture of judgment. Gold is a picture of purity and a picture of God. Uh, Bronze is a substitute gold, a substitute of man's pride that could never find God on his own. And when it's put on the pole to look upon, everyone who would look upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they would find healing. The only healing that could be provided from God. Here we have sin judged on the cross. Here in Numbers and Foreshadow. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the cry of all humanity due to Adam's sin. And there it is, hanging on the cross. God's reply to our cry, I haven't forsaken you. There is the final sacrifice. The second person of the Trinity, Jehovah God, for you, your God. Here Jesus, who is called the second Adam in Scripture, is paying the price for you and me. Where the first Adam got it wrong and cursed mankind with spiritual death. The second Adam brings us spiritual life and brings it back to us. For we were all bitten by the serpent when we chose to sin. Everyone, when they're born into this world, eventually will choose to sin and die spiritually and now need to be born again, like when they were first born into this world, alive unto God. And now when we look to Jesus, my true life, we come back to life again and are born anew. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. If you didn't know the cross was made out of wood, it's a tree. And Paul here then reveals to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the purpose here of Jesus' fourth saying on the cross. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because of Jesus, I can have right standing with the Father, something I desperately need and could not have provided for myself. That's the most amazing gift you can receive this side of heaven, being right with God, knowing there's nothing you can do to make it happen. You just believe what Jesus has done for you. Amazing, and I made him right standing. It's cool to have right standing with God right? And so this has to be more than just a physical death here, as I'm saying Jesus is dying. This is a divine plan with a divine submission. When he became my sin, my sin substitute, my punishment, only Jesus could do for me what I could not do for myself. Oh, say amen. Amen. Oh, yes. Okay, we have here now Jesus' fifth saying on the cross, And I'm still on page 246. I don't know where you are. Uh, And it's John chapter 19, verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. How about that? In order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, and they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop. And brought it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the sour wine. We'll stop right there for now. I thirst. This is the fulfillment of Psalm 22 verse 15. And Psalm 69 verse 21. We're not going to return there. You can read that for yourself. Many commentators have remarked here. This man is in great physical agony. I take no exception to that. But this is a spiritual agony. Agony. He alludes here, actually I will mention Psalm. Psalm 69 verses 20 and 21. Reproach has broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I looked and for someone to take pity, but there was no one. For no comforters, I found none. And they gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. Here in John chapter 19 verse 29 it says sour wine. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 34 he had be given sour wine with gall. Gall is a greenish uh, bitter flavor that comes from a plant. And notice here in chapter 27 verse 34 they try to give him sour wine before they nail him to the cross. Those of you who remember. And it says but when he tasted it. He would not drink. Yet here in John chapter 19, verse 30, on the cross it says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he does drink now, because now he has tasted the bitterness of man's sin. He had not before until now. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. How about that? By taste, death for everyone. So before the nails, he was not yet ready to taste the spiritual death of all men and become sin on the cross. But now he is tasting the bitter flavor of man's spiritual death as he tastes the bitter wine. And as I said, the thirst is spiritual. Before all time and all mankind, In Psalm 63 verse 1, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. All of mankind has thirsted now for centuries. And now he identifies with it. As he said of himself in John chapter 6 verse 35, he who believes in me shall never thirst. Amen. But I thirst. Amen. Ah. Now we have uh, saying six and seven, and they're going to come in rapid succession. Here in chapter, uh, which I was just reading, John chapter nineteen, verse thirty. Right after he receives the sour wine, it says he said, "It is finished," and he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. This is the cry and the declaration of accomplishment. Uh, This is the only non Psalms utterance he has in the last three hours on the cross. Why? Because the commission is now completed. Old Testament times have now come to an end. Gotta remember when Jesus walked the earth, that's not New Testament times. Those are Old Testament times. You've got to read his words very, very carefully. Who is he speaking to? A lot of times he is speaking to Israel and the Jews, not to the church. You have to read very carefully his words. He is putting an end to the old covenant once and for all. And, and, you know, the saying, it is finished. Different scholars have different views on this. I happen to like the Roman view. Because there's Roman soldiers down there. When uh, uh, Roman soldiers were in battle, generals would try to be on a higher level of ground to look down at the battle, but they were close enough where the men could see them. And when they knew, look, we got this battle finished, the general would cry out in a loud, probably had a trumpet too, cry out in a loud voice in Roman, uh, in Latin. I forgot what I say in Latin. It is finished. That told the troops, hey, we won. Now we're just mopping up. We won. And that gave them courage, and they finished up the battle that already was winning. Here, isn't that interesting? He speaks, and the Roman centurion responds, truly, this man was the son of God. How about that? The Gentile world respond, so this is the Messiah. Wow. How about that? Because I'm sure those Romans knew exactly what he meant when he said, it is finished. Amazing. Then after that, we have his seventh saying in Luke chapter 23, and verse 46. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Here, believe it or not, Jesus, again, is quoting the Psalms. He's quoting Psalm 31, verse 5. This is the decry and the decree of resignation. It's over. So, who killed Jesus? The Romans? The Jewish leaders? Me? You? John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life and that I may take it up again no one takes it from me but I lay it down and I have the power to take it up again no one gets credit for the work of the cross but Jesus only he does how many times you saw in the gospel they try to kill him and it says and he slipped through the crowd how did he do that? Because it was and it says more than once it was not his time they could not harm him. He chose when his time was. This was it. It was willingful. It was purposeful. It had a plan from heaven. And now he chooses to let go. No man will kill the Christ. He will lay down his life willingly as the lamb that became, right, the sacrificial lamb at the Passover. He becomes the sacrificial lamb in submission to the Father, not to men. And... Um, so no one gets this credit. He would do what we could not do for ourselves, for all Jews, for all Gentiles, for you and for me. We have the shop. Let's come back up and get ready for music here. I want to go to uh, communion, but I have this handout. I'm going to read this. Please don't write all this down. It's too much information. You can pick this up on the way out if you'd like to. Of course, there's a rubber band on it. thought this would be easier. Something you could take with you. Please help yourself on the way out. I want to read what it says. And the question is, so what's finished at the cross? Quite a bit. I'm going to read this quickly. The defeat of Satan. The fulfillment of all scriptures concerning the suffering of the Messiah. The perfection of of the Messiah. Why he came. The demonstration of obedience and the love of the Messiah to the point of death. The cancellation of all of Satan's claim to us. The words, it is finished. The cancellation of the reign of spiritual death over you and me so that we could be born again. It is finished. The cancellation of sin's power over us. Read the book of Romans. It is finished. The satisfaction of the full justice of God of eternity. So God could never be accused of taking advantage over Satan. Whoa, well, you're God. No. The justice of God was done. Making peace between God and man. That's the greatest task the Messiah could have done. That's what the Bible calls propitiation. Making peace between almighty God and man. Because I couldn't do it for myself. Breaking down the dividing wall, separating Jew and Gentile, as it tells us in the book of Ephesians. We see black, white, red, yellow. God doesn't see races like that. He only sees Jew and the non-Jew. And now a new race, the new creation in Christ Jesus. Made up of physical bodies of Jew and non-Jew, but not known by the flesh and skin color, but known by the spirit. So there's people here that may have been of Jewish race, hey, there he is. And there's people here of Gentile race, a whole bunch of us. But there's also new creatures in Christ Jesus here. I don't know you as white, black, yellow, red. I know you as new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen. Right? When I became a Christian, I stopped being Italian. The old man was an Italian American. This one is not. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. You never see a t shirt on me that so says proud to be Italian. I'm proud to be a believer. Actually, I'm humbled to be a believer, not proud. So, that was free. Uh, We have the blotting out of the old covenant, making and the sealing of the new covenant. That means it can't be taken from us. The death penalty is now paid in full. It is finished. Salvation from the nature of sin. Bodily healing available to all. That's all written right there. A way now is made for the full power and anointing of Holy Spirit to me made available to us. I remember one brother in Christ had said, "Oh, it's compelled." I he heard it many, many, many years ago. He says he believes we were born again so that we would be able to speak in tongues. Wow, that Holy Spirit would indwell in us and we could have a connection with the Father apart from our rational mind. That's a heavy statement. Wow, wow, wow. And last, my point here is a way has now been made for personal access to God. My, my, my. The almighty God of the, of the universe and beyond and the, the master of, of, of all time and space that we could think of is now Daddy. He's now Father God. He's now Abba, Father. I don't have to call him Almighty God. I can call him Father God. And this is a good father. Some of us have had some strange fathers. This is a good father. Amen. 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 So let's receive communion. As you're getting ready here, it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which we read earlier this evening, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So I guess I ask you, what are you going to proclaim tonight? Are you proclaiming Jesus is your healer? Is Jesus the healer of your families? And marital disharmonies? Is Jesus the one who sets you free from sin that so perhaps easily besets you? His death is my freedom and my victory.